where else can you go to work and then get an education for free? And I think that this space is probably one of the best kept secrets in law enforcement where you are able to still provide for your family, but also work on that education. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Hey, Black and Blue fam, what's going on? Welcome to the latest episode of the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. If this is your first time here, my name is Dale, and I'm the host. Thank you for giving the show a new look or listen. And if you've been here before, you already know how much I appreciate you for coming back for more. Remember, if you want to continue to show support for the show, please like and subscribe to the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. And share this content with your peeps so we can continue to get the word out on this show and the people featured in it. Also, be sure to check out all my social media pages. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so today's guest is the chief of police for the University of Louisville in the beautiful state of Kentucky. Everyone, please help me welcome to the show, Chief Gary Lewis. How you doing, sir? Doing well. How are you? Appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on the show and, and meet and spend some time with you and your, your audience and listeners. Absolutely. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on and, and giving us the time as well. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mentioned that you are the chief of police at the University of Louisville. I've never been to Kentucky. Uh, are, are you from originally from Kentucky? Are you born and raised? I am not. So um, grew up in Columbus, Ohio, spent uh, my growing up there in Ohio, um, went to um, the Art Institute of Pittsburgh there in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for a few years, got my degree, came back to Ohio. Journey then took me into law enforcement. I joined the Ohio State Highway Patrol, spent 22 years with the Ohio State Highway Patrol where I retired. I've worked now um, Ohio State University, Cleveland State University, and now here at the University of Louisville. So I've moved from Cleveland, Ohio, here to Louisville. It's um, into your point. The Bluegrass State is a beautiful state. Yeah, uh, it really is. So it, uh, I've enjoyed it. Been here now um, for about just over three years. You brought a smile to my face when you said you were born in Columbus, Ohio. That is originally where I'm from. Is that right? Okay. That small is world. right. Yeah. Yeah. Real small world. I came out, I've been out here in California, uh, you know, most of my life now, but I spent the first 15 years of my life out there in Columbus. My mom went to Ohio yeah. state. Most of my family went to Ohio state. So yeah. Um, what, what area were you, uh, you and your family predominantly in? Uh, on the East side, I was supposed to go to Eastmore 
high school before I moved out here to California. So okay, if you know so where that's at. I went to uh, Columbus East High School. Okay. And then after, uh, as you know, in, in Ohio and much of the country, we were um, involved with busing. And so yep. I was then um, bused from the, um, the west side to Columbus East, and then we moved, and then I ended up going to Franklin Heights High School. That's where I ended up graduating from. Uh, that's awesome. Small world, small world. And then Ohio State and all that. Yeah, like I said, my mom went to Ohio State. Yeah. And uh, I never went to Ohio State, but I follow the football team now. They, they had a rough first week. <laughs> a little um, something that we're not accustomed to. You know, yeah. when you're a Buckeye fan, you're, we've been very spoiled and accustomed to winning. And so to, to take an L, um, especially the first game of the season, not the first game, yeah. but um, second game, it was um, not what we're accustomed to. But nonetheless, Looking forward to the Buckeyes coming out and, and being extremely competitive in the, this coming season. Yes, yes, indeed. So, but now you are, you can no longer uh, pledge your allegiance to the Buckeyes since you are a Cardinal now. Uh, what's that experience you know, been like? It's been awesome. So the University of Louisville, it, it really um, has a, a very similar feel to the Ohio State University in the sense that um, where we are geographically located, you know, when you're talking about a large university in the middle of an urban setting, having some of the uh, similar experiences and, and in some cases ex similar experiences uh, specific to crime, um, that geographic component. And so that's where things for me really come into play and just understanding the dynamics of where we're centrally located and, and having some of those um, interactions and communications with the community. Yeah, I was going to ask you a little bit of differences later, but since we're already talking about it, uh, some of the differences you would say in the university policing setting, as opposed to, you know, you worked majority of your career on the state side and the highway patrol uh, side of it and municipal and all that. What, what are some of the similarities and differences mostly? So um, great question. I think some of the misnomer is that we are security. And I think yeah. that that's one of the, the just overcoming some of those perceptions about law enforcement at college campuses. I mean, we're a fully state accredited law enforcement agency. We're about 50 officers, um, which would be considered a midsize agency, even, yeah. um, you know, for much of the state of Kentucky. We have about 30 security officers who are here, full dispatch, fire emergency management. Um, the, the responsibilities and duties are very similar. One, you want to be proactive. Two, you want to look at data analytics to assist you in the day-to-day -day components of, of what this job means. Um, I say that the, the benefit that I have over my peers in a city, a metropolitan, or even a, a, at the state level is I have predictable indicators. And what I mean by that is that we start school at the same timeline. We go on um, break at the same time, we return back to school. And so knowing I, that I have a, a start and a stop timeline, it allows me a much better opportunity to really focus on how to devote and develop resources to combat potential issues. Um, let's face it, the bad guys know when we start and stop school as well. They know when class is let out, when students are going to be in class and when they're exiting, those types of things. So it gives a, a much better opportunity to be proactive and, and really do some due diligence. 
Yeah, absolutely. Another similarity that you and I have is I worked briefly for UCLA PD for about a year before I moved on to another agency, uh, agency I'm at now. Um, yeah, and you can see that, yeah, you get a lot of the, you know, what are you guys doing sort of thing. Uh, are you guys really the cops, all that sort of stuff. Uh, right. With UCLA, I'm sure you guys get. Um, and, they're you know, again, they're a fully accredited state agency as well. And they they would always preach Yes, they allow their officers to go off campus and be proactive and all that sort of stuff. But they always made it be known that, remember, the city of Los Angeles isn't paying your check. The University of California, Los Angeles is paying your check. So if something goes down, make sure you're on campus. You you know, feel free to go off and do stuff. Be proactive off campus. But remember who's paying your check. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and I think that at the end of the day, that's very true for all of us in law enforcement. Yeah, um, sure. You know, oftentimes it's easy to think the grass is greener and some push the envelope and, and want to work the boundaries of their jurisdiction because for some reason that other agency, that other department may look uh, a little more pleasing to them. And so they, they push the envelope sometimes from a jurisdictional perspective. And I think yeah. we see that on college campuses in particular where they're so accustomed to that positive, proactive um, and in some cases, they're very reactive that they want a taste of traditional policing. But I say you can have that here. You can have it at any major university in the country where we are, like anywhere else, potential victims of crime and being able to implement the skills that we've been taught in, in our training. Yeah, absolutely. So what's what's the transition been for you from moving from Ohio to Kentucky? I know there's there's a border right there in, in South Ohio. You know, Cincinnati's not too far from from I don't remember what part of of Kentucky, but uh, how how far are you actually from from Ohio now? Yes, yeah, so um, from Cincinnati, it's about an hour and a half drive here to Louisville, and okay. you know it's um, so it's not too not too bad. Still, obviously, majority of my family is in Ohio, and so we're able to get back and, and visit uh, with them. Um, it's um, every agency, every state has its own unique characteristics. And I think Louisville especially, um, you know, we're a very, um, it's a metropolitan community. So it's very diverse. Um, unlike um, many other cities and communities here in the Commonwealth. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that's something that adds to the benefit for me in particular and enjoying that and, and, and enjoying that diversity here. So um, it's been great to answer your question succinctly. It really has. Yeah. I've enjoyed it, um, made some amazing professional and personal friends and colleagues. And we're surrounded by a lot of great um, leaders and other agencies and departments and, and have really built some, some strong friendships. Yeah, that's one of the states that I'm hearing a lot of people are moving to Kentucky and what's the other one and um, Tennessee. Tennessee. A lot of people are moving mm-hmm. to both of those states. Are you seeing a lot of increases in population and, and with population increases comes, you know, more crime and more, more of that stuff? You know, I haven't directly, but I do think that, you know, let's face it as a, as a country, we're living longer. Um, people are able to yeah. retire sooner. And so you're seeing that influx, especially in the Southern states, weather, snowbirds, the Carolinas, especially, as you mentioned, Tennessee, Kentucky, um, Florida, obviously. So definitely an opportunity for retired 
individuals to go and, and um, really enjoy those last years and in many cases, decades of their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So going back on how you started your career, had, had you always wanted to be in law enforcement or was that something that kind of fell into your lap? What, what's your journey there? Yeah, so I'm not one of those people that said, you know, when I grow up, I know I want to be a cop. Um, my plan was to become an art teacher. had strong desire and passion to teach, love the energy of young people and being able to mentor and provide them with really some guidance and direction. Went to art college. And when I came back to Columbus, had a, um, one of my mentors who was a, uh, he was a detective with Columbus Police, my uncle had encouraged me to apply to do composite sketches, to do uh, composite drawings for those involved in victims of crime. I had applied with Columbus. They just didn't have um, a role at that time. And he had suggested the Ohio State Highway Patrol, went by their academy, spent some time um, speaking to one of their recruiters. He was a um, African-American captain. He had joined the force in 1965 he was the second to ever wear that uniform, um, had asked him about a particular role in doing composite drawings. And he said, young man, we don't have that role here in the highway patrol. And he said, why don't you become a state trooper? And I said, sir, I have no desire to become an Ohio state trooper. And he said, well, where are you from? And I expressed I was from Columbus. And he said, well, what's your name? And I told him, he said, well, what's your family's name? And I expressed my, my grandparents' names. And he said, wait a minute. Eddie C. Walker, that's your grandfather? And I said, yes, sir. So many of you know that in the you know, early, um, late 80s, early 90s, we just, we didn't have cell phones. So this is in 1990. Um, he said, well, call him, push, this, push the phone over to me. I called my grandfather. Uh, the two of them uh, talked for a while and he hung up the phone. He had an extremely uh, strong smirk on his face and he said, you got to fill out the application, don't you? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, I bet you're wondering why. And I said, yes, sir. He says, well, my big brother and your grandfather were the best of friends growing up. And uh, we were neighbors. And um, he trusts me. And so that meant a lot to me. So I applied. And um, as they say, the rest is history. Wow. I'm starting to sense a theme here. A lot of uh, small world stuff going on here between you and I and, and, and you and your story in particular. <laughs> that, that is awesome. Very, yeah, very, so very he, awesome. Um, unfortunately, um, Gilbert Jones, we just lost Colonel Jones uh, to cancer um, about nine months ago. And he truly was who we consider the godfather um, when it relates to being an African-American, a state police organization, the challenges that we as African-Americans faced in law enforcement internally. As we know, the federal government was pushing many agencies to hire more blacks um, as well as females um, in, in the coming years in the 70s. So we look to him just as being that that um, amazing voice of reason and helping us navigate uh, waters that we had never been in and knowing when he got out of the United States Air Force, he had joined. Um, he was only the second ever. Um, the first was 10 years before. 1955 was the very first time that um, an African-American had successfully made it through the Highway Patrol Academy. Um, the NAACP had pushed significantly, filed lawsuits against the state. Um, Lou Sharp, 
successfully went through, was only able to really endure a lot of the treatment that he went through for about six months, ended up um, leaving the organization. But um, lots of great stories of just some amazing mentors and African-Americans who paved the way for someone like me. Absolutely. And then when you left, how was the the ranks as far as African-Americans, females, uh, and other minorities? So um, the one thing I'll I'll give the credit to the Highway Patrol in that um, they maintain still about that 10 to 12 percent number. Um, But when you, you know, that number, although it's not great, when you think of only 1,500 across the entire state, and you've got about 150 to 180, that number goes up and down periodically. Um, Females, the number is even less. When you're talking about probably 7% of the organization are female, but what a lot of people don't do then is take that a step farther. And how many of those African-Americans, how many of those are females? And that number is even less. And so that's something that I think we need to continue to work on as a whole in hiring more African-American females in this profession. Um, And that's uh, across the country. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So then after you left the highway patrol, you went where? So I retired. I worked at the Ohio State University for a number of years. I was the senior director of media. I I noticed how you said the, the Ohio (laughs) State. (laughs) That's how they all do it. Yeah. Yes, sir. And um, so I was there. I did uh, the media and public relations. I I oversaw that for um, almost three years. And there was an individual who I'm very close with who was the police chief at Ohio State and encouraged me to get back into the law enforcement space. There was an opportunity up in Cleveland at Cleveland State. Um, I applied for the position, as they say, the rest is history. I went up to Cleveland, had an amazing time, just phenomenal people. Um, Cleveland State University is downtown Cleveland. Um, You stayed extremely busy. And we were literally blocks away from the arena where the Cavs played and and won their NBA championship to hosting the Republican National Convention. Uh, Just some amazing people, amazing community. I think the world of of that city and how it embraced me and how it embraces this profession, Um, the number of leaders, African-American leaders with Cleveland police and, and so many other agencies um, just um, makes you proud to do this type of work, knowing that you've got like-minded leaders within that space. Absolutely. And you did that for three years or so, you said? I was up there for three years. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. opportunity presented itself here in Louisville. A um, national search firm had reached out. Um, ultimately, what's happening, I think, across the country is that many of us who are in these positions, that people are seeing the value in those who have worked in areas such as this. Um, when you have that experience and understanding the challenges that metropolitan communities um, have to endure as opposed to some of the, the more rural and the balance, that balance of um, interacting and engaging with different minorities different uh, attitudes and mindsets. And so um, I was fortunate enough to be selected, come here to the University of Louisville. And like I said, uh, been just over three years now. All right. And what's what sort of the uh, population of the University of Louisville? I know you, you have a student population, so mostly the under 30 crowd, but what about uh, ethnically? Yes. Yeah, so 
23,000 students, 7,000 employees. When you look at the numbers and the diversity, I think we're pretty high. Um, we're about 18% when you look at the African-American numbers and obviously um, Latinos, um, Asian, those numbers are also um, fairly representative. So that's definitely a huge positive. Um, I don't know with the employees though, I'd be curious to see with that what the numbers look like as far as the actual employees, um, faculty and staff and those numbers. I think um, no matter where you're at, there's always a need to push for more diversity and to hire more to have that representation so that our students are getting that full experience and they're getting yeah. it from, from individuals who look and sound and, and think the way that they do. Right. And, and then on that note, segueing, what about your department? What's what's the so diversity? My department, like that? So of, of the 50, um, we're actually about 18 percent African-American. So okay. I think that it's um, uh, very purposeful to find that not only the best, most qualified applicants, but also clearly looking at females, looking at African-Americans and then having a diverse group and diverse workforce. So um, we're very representative of not only the campus community, but the community at, at, as a whole at large up here in the Louisville metro area. Absolutely. So, you know, law enforcement has taken some hits as of late, and right now it's, it's pretty tough uh, being officers. Are, are you having a hard time finding officers to, to be proactive, uh, people to actually want to be police officers in your organization, in your region? Can I say yes, yes, and yes? <laughs> you can, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, I tell you, I, I think probably the, um, some of the biggest challenges that I'm finding here in particular, that seasoned officers, male, female, black or white, the amount of pressure that they're now getting from family to do this job, the support or lack thereof isn't there the way it once was. Um, the conversation I'm having with 15, 20, 25 year veterans of this occupation uh, the pressure that they're getting from their churches, their communities, their family is to get out of this space. So it is making recruiting extremely tough as well as just retaining. So that's something that we're also finding is that the ability to do that. It's not about money. I think that, um, you know, many of the households now, unlike when I started, you know, uh, my wife and I, she stayed home. I went to work, was that primary component from, from the financial perspective. But now these you know, young people have multiple incomes. Um, they have what I call um, generational wealth and some seed money that have, have assisted them with um, kind of their start in life. And that has aided them. So they're not doing it not because of the money. There's just not that passion or desire to do this type yeah. of work anymore. Um, you know, when I started my career, I made $6.33 an hour. And, oh, good Lord. <laughs> and, you know, um, the, the, the level of pride to wear that uniform and to be representative of that organization went a long way. But I don't see that as much. I know it still exists. Don't get me wrong. But I think it's just changed over the past 30 years. Yeah, it, it seems as though they've got other young folks have, uh, you know, different interests. And now, like I said, with the, uh, you know, the defund and, and all that sort of movement going on with the with law enforcement and the communities. Do, do you find yourself uh, kind of fighting those battles as chief of police 
um, with the community. I, I don't know if if the uh, university community is really uh, going towards you know defunding your department or anything like that. But is is that one of those battles you need to fight? You know, um, fortunately not. We have very very strong support here from senior leadership. I think some of the challenges that we have are what other universities especially in metropolitan areas are faced with. And that is disassociating with that larger metropolitan agency and creating right. a, a clear distinction and separation. And we're working towards even more so, but the reality is we've shared with our student body is that when you have city streets that align your campus, it's challenging to have that complete distance or separation. Um, let's face it, we need one another no matter the agency and having that level of support, especially for large scale events. Um, and heaven forbid if something really significant were to occur to have that mutual aid to be able to provide that. But we are hearing that um, there are many universities across the country when I'm talking to my peers and, and they're faced with that same dynamic and challenge. But the reality is at the end of the day, my responsibility, my oath is to not only serve and protect, but is to ensure that those parents those um, students are maintained and kept safe. And sometimes that means creating unique partnerships with adjacent law enforcement to be able to provide that level of support. Um, we just, you know, not all of us have the same tools in our tool belt to be able to do that. But, um, but we have listened. We are working towards that and, and trying to make it better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, creating those partnerships. Are there partnerships also within the campus community that you that you deal with on a daily basis? There is. I think that, you know, we have to, you know, obviously COVID has changed things for our entire country. Oh, yeah. And, you know, not having students here last year, a limited amount, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that we maintain a, a relationship with our student government and with all the other um, individual groups, and then just holistically with, with our students, having them back this year. Um, that's why we are reminded this is why we do what we do and to ensure that we protect them. We have three campuses here in Louisville. We have our main campus, then we have a downtown campus, which is located in downtown Louisville, then a smaller campus um, that is primarily for research. So being able to provide that level of support at each one of those locations, that's the key listening to our students, providing them with really the, the, the comfort. Um, I being a parent, um, sending children off to college, you're entrusting them into that system. And so I want to make sure that I do what I have promised those parents that I would do, and that's keep their kids safe. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, forming partnerships with your, you know, your, your municipal law enforcement and in some cases your state law enforcement for large scale events. Speaking of large scale events, you know, we did mention, you know, that uh, football is back in in session. And uh, I, I know Louisville's typically a, uh, a basketball school, but how's how's the football shaping out this year? Well, I'm not sure if, if you were able to catch it, but uh, this past weekend had an amazing um, last second interception um, victory over UCF, University of Central Florida. And so we're excited about the, the energy. Um, I don't know if you've, you've heard of a young man by the name of Lamar Jackson. who uh, A little bit, yeah. I heard a little bit know, about so, him. So yeah. we, Just last I, night, I, yeah. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we definitely have that to brag and boast about, although this is a, um, 
for lack of better terms, at Hoop School, uh, we definitely had some amazing athletes who have been very successful, not only at the collegiate level, but the pro level. And so um, Lamar being one of them, and he still is an extremely outspoken card fan and, and comes back when he can to, to support. So um, it's been oh, good. Okay. Um, you know, we stay busy and, um, you know, we got Clemson and, you know, the, uh, the ACC is very competitive. And yeah. I think that our team will continue to, to do that. Um, will they have some of those elite programs as in the past? Maybe not this season, but I do think they'll be competitive. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you being there at Louisville and at Ohio State, you've had a chance to be around some amazing athletes in your in your career there, huh? Yes. You know, and, and, and I tell people it's it's not fair to compare the Ohio State University to others because it is such an outlier in so many areas. Yeah. Um, being able to experience that um, on so many levels and that the history, the tradition, it's just different. And you have to be honest about that. Um, but taking those experiences and being able to bring them here has clearly enabled us to be better, to enable us to do things in a more efficient way. So I appreciate the skills that I learned um, while with the Highway Patrol and then obviously at, at uh, Ohio State. Yeah. Well, you know, the expectations of Ohio State football certainly are different than Louisville's football team, but I would I would flip it and say the Louisville basketball program. Absolutely. It's a, it's a great, yeah. great comparison um, because Ohio State, very similar. Some amazing athletes who've come through have had great success but not really known to be that powerhouse national champion contender in, in basketball. Yeah. And so there are definitely some similarities there. Absolutely. It was uh, Jimmy Jackson. That's probably the, the, uh, the most famous yeah, one so, I can think of, at least off the top so of my you know, head. In basketball. Um, Dennis, Dennis Hobson, who um, played with the Bulls and um, very close friend of mine, a young man by the name of Lawrence Funderburg, who played um, there at Ohio State. Um, a lot of great athletes, a lot of great basketball players, um, Jimmy, obviously, and, and, and so many others. But um, I think that when you're from Ohio and that having that ability, um, the, the challenge is, as you mentioned, Eastmore, when you, you know, who can compete against Archie Griffin? two-time Heisman Trophy <laughs> right. winner, yeah. yep. Columbus native, amazing ambassador on, on so many levels. And so um, think the world of Archie and his family and, and what he has done for um, the city of Columbus, for the Ohio State University, just uh, truly a great man. Absolutely, absolutely. Archie Griffin, yeah. <laughs> Can't compete with that. Can't compete with that. Not in Ohio, at least. Not in Columbus. So, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, your degree uh, didn't kind of match up with law enforcement. You know, you were an art major. Have, have you ever had a chance to be able to use that eventually? You know, I know you tried to be a sketch artist. And were you able to use your degree in, in, law, in a law enforcement capacity? You know, it, yes. And I think that what I tell people is that our job, my job as a leader, is to understand that from a business model, we have to sell our services. It's up to us to share back to the community what is it that we do on a day-to-day -day basis. So, and especially now with social media and using the marketing piece and that side mm -hmm. of my brain, 
um, I am able to do that. And that's a, a benefit. Um, I ended up going back to school, got my undergrad, went back, got a master's from Michigan State University, um, spent some time at, at Harvard and got a, um, a crisis communications um, um, diploma, um, went to the FBI National Academy. So, you know, I think education is important. I think that we have to continue to look at new best practices. And so, although I'm not specifically in that space any longer, we all should be challenged to use the skills that we've picked up along the way and apply them when applicable. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure you, you, you had an occasion, you know, at the Ohio State patrol and all those sorts of things that maybe when you're speaking to, uh, you know, a victim of something, you can sketch down a, you know, suspect, uh, profile. Yeah, or you know, like from, that real from quick. that to, you know, and I think it's become less about the, the art of it and more the skill set of understanding how do you message and market what it is that we do. And so yeah. that's where I've really tried to apply that. And, you know, I think even um, in looking at your space and just the graphics of the black and blue podcast and looking at the, the visual image of that and how to market and sell what it is that we do on a day to day basis. That's where I've taken that skill set. Yeah. And do you kind of promote education amongst your ranks as well? Absolutely. You know, where else can you go? to work and then get an education for free. And I think that yeah. this space is probably one of the best kept secrets in law enforcement, where you are able to still provide for your family, but also work on that education. Absolutely. And do a lot of your officers take, take up that, uh, that advantage? They do. And I'm so proud of them for that. I've got a young man uh, now working on his master's, just uh, phenomenal. He's the next generation of, of leaders in law enforcement. And watching him uh, potentially even go federal, just knowing that I had an opportunity to potentially leave a mark, a part of uh, my thumbprint on him, it, it's very humbling. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about mentorship. What, what what sort of mentorship do you do you offer your 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 ranks? You know, people within your ranks to kind of follow behind you and and you know be the next chief, if not yeah. at Louisville, then somewhere else. So I believe that we have to first create a succession plan. I believe that people in my position, they're most effective three to seven years. Um, at about year number seven, it's really time to transition and allow that succession plan to take over. That's what I'm doing here. It's what I did when I was in Cleveland. And I think that that's how we keep the rank and file and the growth and the hunger there and present. Um, I have a number of um, other law enforcement officers who've come to me and asked me to mentor them. Um, I take it very seriously in challenging them and putting them in a position where I can be used as a vessel. But know that I too have had some amazing mentors myself and I still go back to the well and ask them um, from their perspective on really what is a way to manage and navigate that. I think it's important. Um, I'm a father of five. And so having five children and understanding the role as to what we do. Um, so, you know, um, my oldest son is um, a first sergeant in the United States Army. He's stationed in North Carolina. I've got a captain in the United States Army who's stationed in Honolulu, Hawaii. I've got a supply sergeant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got a um supply sergeant who has just relocated from Denver back to Ohio. And my youngest son 
is um, at Ohio State in his senior year, and he's in the Air Force Reserves. So my four sons are all active, and I'm extremely proud of them. And uh, bringing in the rear is my two-year-old daughter. Oh, wow. Okay. So your oldest is how old? 33. 33 and two. Okay. There's a <laughs> big little, gap little there. Gap there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, is that a boy or a girl? It's a little girl. All right. Congratulations. Finally got your girl. Yes. So thank you. Yeah. So I'm sure she's going to have daddy wrapped around her, her finger. I'm sure it's, it's already done. And you know what oh. I can see? <laughs> and, and, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Congratulations on that. And congratulations on, you. on all your sons uh, being in the military. Uh, you didn't mention, were you ever in the military? I was not, was not, but I have to tell you, um, I'm so proud of them in listening to what I felt would have been a pretty strong plan had I known more about life. And each one of them have served and currently serving in the military. Um, they all have either obtained their degree and are working on it as my youngest son um, and also looking at um, getting their master's. And so I believe that we um, and I'll speak for myself, that, that as I, as an African-American male growing up in the time that I did, had I had some additional insight and influence, could have made some different choices, known a little bit more than what I did. And so now that I do know better, it's my job to do better and to provide that direction and guidance. Now, it's not always um, easy for our children to take our advice, but it is my job to provide them with some guidance and direction and options. Um, you know, my mother um, growing up, all I can remember is, you know, my job is to get you to graduate and make sure you're not dead or in jail. And I think that this brainwashing had taken place for a lot of single African-American women raising children, especially sons, that that was, that was it. Well, they accomplished that. And unfortunately, there's not much more to go on. And so I had to figure things out on my own. Uh, I'm very thankful the Lord had, has provided me with the opportunities he has and got me here. But now that I know better, it's my job to do better and to teach better. Yeah, I think you did all right there, Chief, with yourself. Well, thank yeah. you. <laughs> do, uh, do any of your children want to follow in your footsteps and enter law enforcement? You know, I think that their space, especially the, the three older boys, um, they're going to do the military full time and have that full time okay. commitment. I would love for, for them to do that. You know, one of my biggest arguments with us in, in the rank and file in law enforcement now is I don't want my child to follow me. I hear that often and it disappoints me because I think oftentimes that we forget we're parents and our children look at us as their hero. Yes. We are the first hero that they've ever had. And so it's up to us to continue and to support that because who better would we want them to emulate than us? And than so us. I think that because of the impact that what we're faced and challenged with, we tend to be a little more negative towards this line of work and not understand that those little eyes look at us very differently. And so I've challenged a lot of officers to reshape that that attitude, that mindset, that verbiage, and to understand that those young people truly, truly are looking to us because they want to be us. And so there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. And I think that if we're going to be successful 
in changing the narrative in law enforcement across the country. It has to start at home. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, unfortunately, you know, I've, I've got two. I've got one who's a sophomore in college, and he didn't want to enter law enforcement. He's, he's looking more into medicine. So, okay. yeah, good for him. You know, he wants to be a doctor, uh-huh. and that, that's that's good. That, that's an awesome career. Uh, he respects law enforcement. So, you know, just seeing me his whole life, you know, gives yeah. him that perspective as well. But he, he knows he's 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 not built for that. He's more in 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 uh, in the medical space, and, and that's okay. And then, yeah, and that's okay. And 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 we we raised a great kid that's you know at least doing that. And he, well, not at least you know he's going to surpass dad by leaps and bounds being a doctor. Right. And. Um, and my daughter, she's uh, she's still a senior in high school, and she's about to go off. She wants to go to Howard or something like that, and uh, yeah. you know she, you know she likes to help people, but I don't think she wants to do it in a law enforcement capacity. She, she's probably going to be a counselor or something of that nature. So, okay. yeah. But you know, still the the legacy that we're able to provide, and it goes back to my yes. earlier comment that we now know better, therefore we do better, and giving yep. that opportunity that the narrative has to change. It's no longer about um, making sure they don't go to jail or they're not shot, but it is planning college visits. It is looking at different opportunities. Exactly. And so uh, to me, that's what, that's our job. That's that we know we've answered the calling and really what God has placed on each one of us to do and to get better every generation. And so I'm very proud of just being that vessel to do that. Um, like I said, I wish that I had maybe a different blueprint or one that was designed outside of just making it to graduation of high school, that someone had given that vision an option to make a choice to do something different. Um, and I've had that conversation with my mother. You know, it's um, the the praying mother um, on her knees, making sure you're safe. That was her focus. And we've got to get out of that you know, the, this next yeah. generation. And we have, and I think we just have to continue that. So did you grow up in kind of a tough part of Columbus or? You know what? Um, I'd like to say that, but I won't because it really wasn't. Um, I grew up on the <laughs> west side of Columbus. The hilltop was beautiful. You you know, I delivered newspapers. The hilltop. I, I remember that. My, my mom, she grew up in that area too. She always talks about the hilltop. You know, I left okay kind of early so i don't i don't remember the geography but the hilltop yeah she speaks yeah. about that I'm now, gonna have what's, to mom, what's mom's yeah. maiden name uh peters she is peters when she when she divorced she she reverted back to her her maiden name but uh, well, you may she, know she, i was gonna say you she may know that the dad's know. you may know the dad's yeah. side of the family you ever heard of the broomfields yeah um yeah. and so you know the the hilltop and that's one of the positives was that from a community perspective, it was amazing. Um, I can't say anything bad and I won't. Um, okay. I had a great childhood, you know. Um, I delivered newspapers. I rode my bike, um, stayed out after dark. We raced light pole to light pole. Um, yeah. it, it was awesome. Now, it's unfortunate. But, but things have Yes. Um, things have changed. That area has changed. Um, many of the, the, the names... Um, have changed. Um, my grandfather raised 12 kids in the same house. Um, you know, both my parents, they had um, um, came from that same area. And so I had people on my father's side, my mother's side, cousins. Um, it was amazing. So I was very blessed in that sense and being able to have family 
and friends within that same space. So um, it, it was good. I, you know, like I said, I will never say anything um, bad about that experience because it truly helped me in so many ways in, in just in navigating. Yep. That Midwest upbringing. Yes. Yep. Pop. Yeah. Do you say pop out there in the, in the uh, Kentucky? Oh yeah. It's definitely, um, it yeah. was pop when I was a kid. Um, now when I went to Pittsburgh, it went to soda. Yes. It's soda out here in Cali. Yep. Yep. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, de- definitely, definitely pop. <laughs> definitely. So, uh, as chief of police, what's, uh, what's one of the most rewarding parts of your job? I have a lot of rewarding parts, to be quite honest. I think watching this next generation, being able to be instrumental in helping to shape and carve out this next generation. Um, my mentor, one of my mentors um, said, if you lead with your heart, your feet will always be in step. And I think that those words are so important. And I try to be an extension of some great men and women who have mentored me and that I carry on their legacy, that I share and provide the lessons learned. So to me, those are some of really the benefits in being in this role and watching and cultivating and supporting it. Good stuff. Good stuff. And on the flip side, what are, what are one of the more challenging parts of your job? I think right now that the challenge is how do we change this national narrative? How do we regain that level of respect that we once had across our country? As a young man, seeing that white car with Columbus police going down the street didn't invoke fear. If anything, they would pull over and we'd walk up and they'd hand us Columbus Clipper cards. They would stop, get out and engage and talk. I miss that part of um, just community. It's not even community policing. It's truly just community. Um, I remember their names still to this day, those officers um, hanging out, you know, in, in their parking lot, um, they, the substations and just that interaction. And so I have very, very fond memories of law enforcement in my community and especially there on the west side. That's the part that I think is the biggest challenge. What I've told people, though, is that instead of me looking at this very globally across the country, I have to own my space. I have to own where I'm at today in changing those perceptions that some of these young people will never interact with law enforcement. And this may be the only time. And so it's up to me to change that perception so that they've at least got some positive opportunity to engage and talk and download or ask questions and that be the first start. So um, early in my career as a state trooper, the Lord spoke to me standing out on Interstate 71 and said to me, one stop at a time. You get one time to make a first impression. And I never forgot that moment. And so I've taken that philosophy, that ideology, and I say it one student at a time, one community member at a time, and to focus on that person in that moment, because that may be the only time that they engage with my agency or even my profession. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. Love that. So uh, 
what uh, what does the future hold for Chief Gary Lewis? What, I know you we spoke about a succession plan that you're going to start putting in place. After that's done, what, what, what's the plan like for you? So I'm giving myself about two more years here at the University of Louisville. Um, I plan on doing exactly what I've said, and that is execute succession. I think that internal growth is important. I think that you have to put that thumbprint on the next wave of leadership, really start challenging the folks who are here and preparing them from decision making, um, giving them the opportunity. As, as I call it, um, it's holding the bicycle seat management. You know, my job as a father, as a leader, is to hold on the bicycle seat to help you. Um, I'm riding along, running along beside you, but at some point I have to let go of that bicycle seat and trust the process. Right. So that's what's yeah. next. All right, all right. I mean, and by no means do I expect you to just sit up with your on on a rocking chair on the porch. You know, oh, no. you're still a young man and you got place, stuff to do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know where the next place will take me. You know, I'm, I tend to um, really allow the Lord to lead me. And I want to be someplace that I'm meant to be, where he's called me to be, and to make sure that my steps are ordered. And so I don't know where that might be next. So um, I often use these words and I say, Lord, I yield. And wherever that is next, then that's what I'll do. All right. What do you, what do you like to do when you're not working? Gosh, you know what? Anymore, the past two years, it's been all about my daughter. Um, love family oh, yeah, time. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. You know, um, especially with the age difference and having my boys all over the country. Um, so it really is that family time. I enjoy that. Um, I've got a, a strong uh, core group of, of some gentlemen here in um, Louisville, um, some law enforcement, some not. So we'll get out, we'll play golf. Um, fellowship and, and interact. And, and I tell you, that means a lot to be able to have that component, that outlet to decompress and sometimes yes. just not to be chief. Yes. Yes. And, and it's interesting that you, that you did mention that some of your, your circle are law enforcement, but some are not. And it's important Correct. to, yeah, to get those, those perspectives, those people that aren't in law enforcement, because then you just start swapping stories and you don't really get to decompress and you don't get different perspectives on what's, what's going on out there. So yeah, it's yeah. good to have that. Good to have that. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Yep. All right, chief. I appreciate you coming on and, and giving all this great insight about uh, educational law enforcement and, and your, your chain through life. But you know what? We are not done yet. I've got uh, a little game I like to play with my guests, so I hope you're up on uh, on your trivia here. This game is called uh, Black or Blue, 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 Black or Blue. Come on. All right, so this game is called Black or Blue. Your category today is called Win One for the Gipper. Win One for the Gipper. So, since you are in university law enforcement. And uh, I thought I would give you a category of university colors. So what yeah. I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to name a school for you, and you tell me is one of their major colors black or blue, black or blue. Real simple for you. You should be able to get this. So here's your first one here. Your first school is the University of South Carolina Gamecocks, black or blue? Black. Yes, they are black. Yes, University of uh, Southern Cal Carolina. I don't know if I said California, but 
Uh, the Gamecocks, yes, they are black with that red there. Off to a great start. How about, uh, since we I just said California, how about uh, UCLA? Are they black or blue? Blue. They are blue. Yes, the Bruins. All right. You were rolling here. How about the Louisiana Tech University Bulldogs? Black or blue? Louisiana Tech. I'm trying to think of their um, blue. They are blue. Wow. Pulled that one out of the hat, huh? <laughs> Couldn't just give you all easy ones here, but yeah, you, you managed to get that one. How about the uh, University of Colorado Buffaloes? Oh, they're, they're black and gold. They are black and gold. Yeah, we found the right category for you here, Chief. How about uh, West Virginia State University Yellow Jackets? So not West Virginia. You're looking at West Virginia State. West Virginia State. I'm going to go black. They are black, yes. Yes, with the Yellow Jackets, you know, yellow. I don't think too many Yellow Jackets are blue and yellow, but... (laughs) Thought I'd get that for you. How about the San Diego State University Aztecs? Aztecs are blue. Oh, your first one wrong. The Aztecs are black and red. Yes. Missed that one. You missed that one. That's all right. Got a few more here for you. How about the University of Arizona Wildcats? Arizona black. Black and red. Oh, no, Chief. They are blue no? and red. Oh. Yes. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of, AS, of uh, Arizona AS, State. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just straight. Okay, too wrong. We got to catch back up here, Chief. How about the University of Florida Gators? Blue. They are definitely blue. Yes. All right. Back on the, on the winning side of things. How about the Indiana State University Sycamores? Indiana State. ISU, I know IU. So I'm going to take a risk and say black. Oh, no, they are blue, the sycamores. Okay. Some sort of tree, I would I would think, I would imagine there. A couple more, you're still on the winning side of things. How about the University of Michigan Wolverines? You, you're from Ohio. You know we don't talk about the state up north. I, I know. I had to throw it in there, though. <laughs> blue. Hey, you went to Michigan State. Yes. That's it. <laughs> Go, go green, go white. Yeah, yeah. And your last one here, and you better get this one, Chief. How about the University of Louisville Cardinals? See there. I, I like the way you think. Black. <laughs> they are black. Had to keep you on the winning side of things. Yes, you got more <laughs> right than you got wrong. So we are going to call you the winner. Chief, good job there. Appreciate it. Yes, yes, indeed. All right. So before we get you out of here, uh, how about something uh, we can tell our audience um, before we let you go? Um, anything you want them to know about uh, you, yourself or the University of Law Enforcement, uh, University of Louisville, or law enforcement in general? You know, I think just from a, an end perspective is that we still have a lot of work to do. And we don't want to minimize the great work that's done on a day-to-day basis by the men and women who have taken the oath to serve and protect. And we encourage people who may have questions or desires to reach out 
to folks like myself or you and, and to learn more, uh, to come out, to ride, to shadow and to apply, because that's truly the change agent that we need in our community and this next generation of law enforcement. Absolutely. Great words, Chief there. I appreciate you coming on the show here and, and I had a lot of fun with you and, and you got through that last game there with, <laughs> not without a problem there. A couple of them threw you for a loop, but uh, we got you through it. All right. So I appreciate you, Chief. Appreciate Thank it. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much. All right. You got it. Be safe out there, sir. We'll talk to you All soon. Right. Bye now. Hi, right, Square Pegs. We are done with this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank Louisville University Police Chief Gary Lewis for coming on and hanging out with me. And I want to thank you, the viewers and listeners, for coming on and hanging out with me as well. If you enjoyed it, make sure you like, subscribe, and share the show on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. I'll be back right here in two weeks with another awesome interview. Same black time, same black channel. But till then, y'all know what to do. Stay black and blue. I'll highlight you. Peace. This has been a Major D Entertainment presentation.